marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. So treasure your wife. Skipped the end. Have you the wing? Here comes my Wesley now. Under you, Princess Barclark. Man and wife. Say man and wife. Man and wife. Escort the bride to the honeymoon suite. I'll be there shortly. He didn't come. Marriage is what brings us together today. Someday I'm going to say that in a wedding. I don't know whose wedding it's going to be in, but I'm going to turn around and I'm going to say that. It's going to be awesome. But marriage is what brings us together today. And then real life is what drives us apart tomorrow, isn't it? If you were to ask people on their wedding day, do you treasure your spouse I'm willing to bet 99.9% of them would say yes. There's always some wackos. But 99.9% are going to say yes. And then by year seven, half of those, 50% of the marriages are going to end in divorce. You see, the reality today is that some of you here, your marriage is in deep trouble, and you are right here with your hand on this handle about to walk through the door of divorce. No one may know it but you and your spouse, maybe. But you've been on a downward slope for some time, and the momentum and the direction of your marriage is leading you right through this door of divorce. Others of you here, you're kind of in relational purgatory, somewhere between heaven and hell. You're in a rut somewhere between divorce and marriage satisfaction. Your marriage isn't that bad, but it's sure not living up to its potential either. If you were asked, is your marriage thriving? You'd say, oh, no, 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 it's existing. We do the same thing day after day, year after year. And you know somewhere deep down in your heart that if something doesn't change, someday you may just walk through this door of divorce. And then represented here today are many folks who've already gone through the door of divorce. And they can tell you that what lies on the other side of this door is something dark and definitely not pleasant. In my small group last week, there were eight of us there, and I asked the question, how many of us had gone through divorce, either personally or someone in your immediate family? Every person there had gone through divorce, or, or somebody very close to them had gone through divorce. And the scars of divorce run deep. See, it'd be one thing if... Divorce only affected the man and the woman. But it hammers both families on both sides, and the pain lasts sometimes for generations. And so I just have to ask the question, if divorce hurts so many people for so long, why do we do it so often? Why are we in such a hurry to get a divorce? Now, there are different circumstances for each divorce, and, and some of those circumstances are biblical. But honestly, most of the reasons we get a divorce are not biblical. Today I want to focus on some warning signs that are evident in many marriages. And it has to do with the way we handle conflict. 
Let me give you a big fat reality check today. 80% of the marriages that have one or more of these four horsemen present in them will end in divorce. That's what the experts say. John Gottman is the researcher who labeled these things the four horsemen. But the experts also tell us that if you discover the antidote for each of these predictors of divorce and you use the antidote, it's not enough just to know it, you've got to use it, then most of your marriages can learn to thrive. So let's look at what these are. Very first horseman is criticism. Now, this is more than just, I don't like this thing that you do. This has moved to a point where it's, I don't like you. See, it's a very fine line from saying, something you do bothers me, to saying, you bother me. And in this criticism stage, you're riding this first horseman towards divorce. You are, you are criticizing your partner's character. If, for example, your marriage partner forgets to do something, you say, you're too lazy to do what I ask you to do. Then you have just declared that you are God and you know all things concerning this person. If you say, you don't care enough to take out the trash or you don't care enough to do whatever I've asked you to do, then you're making statements that you understand the deepest workings of the other person's soul. And when you do this stuff, when you attack their character, you might as well pull out an axe and begin chopping down at who that person is in life. You might as well chop down your marriage because if you keep chopping and chopping at them, eventually they will leave you. Second horseman is defensiveness. Defensiveness is a natural response to criticism. Instead of hearing what the other person is trying to say, you immediately defend your position. You might as well say these words. Well, I can't possibly be held responsible for my own actions. There has to be a reason. There has to be circumstances for what I'm doing beyond the fact that I just chose to do something dumb. dumb beyond the fact that I just chose to be an idiot. Defensiveness is really about deflecting blame for your behavior on someone or something else instead of taking personal responsibility for your part in the problem. And here you are responding with an axe to the other person's assessment of your relationship. So your marriage partner is chopping at the relationship from one side, you're chopping at the relationship from the other side, and you're chopping twice as fast, you're riding two horsemen twice as fast towards the door of divorce. Third horseman is contempt. Now you may not say it in so many words, but here your actions and your tone of voice, your attitude says, I'm better than you are. I'm smarter than you are. I'm looking down on you because you can't do things as well as I can. On this horseman, there's belittling, there's sarcasm, there's disdain for the other person. When we get to the contempt horseman, we've moved from criticism to intentional hurt. You see the other person as your enemy and you want to hurt them for hurting you or not doing things your way. And this is probably the most dangerous horseman because when you reach this stage, it is all out war. So forget the axe. You fire up a chainsaw and you cut off your marriage relationship right at the base of that tree and it falls hard. This is a no holds barred, I want to defeat you horseman. The fourth horseman is stonewalling. This is where we cut ourselves off from the other person emotionally and sometimes physically. It would be like walking out of the room when they're trying to talk to you. 
It would be refusing to answer them when they ask a question. It's a total lack of responsiveness to the other person. The other person, you see them as a great source of pain, so you build protective walls around your heart to make sure they never get in, and they never do. And in many cases, no one else ever does either because you've built walls to protect yourself. And at this point, some of you are going, oh, holy cow, we're in serious trouble. Well, let me say this. Even if you've got all four of these horsemen galloping around your conflict process in your home, there is hope. First of all, you've got to get on the same map. You should know where this is going. Jesus Christ, the whole theme for this, this series has been Jesus Christ. John 10, 9 said, I am the door. If anyone comes through me, he'll be saved. He'll go in and out and he'll find pasture. And so the very first thing you do is you both have to move through this door. Because I told you last week that, that there are three types of love that all relationships uh, need to survive, to thrive in the marriage relationship. The first one is agape. This big log here represents agape love. Now, this type of love is unconditional and it's also supernatural. Because it's supernatural, you and I cannot do it apart from Jesus Christ. So we've got to walk through this door and begin to learn how God loves us supernaturally and unconditionally. And then when we learn that and we receive that, we begin to project that out to others. That's the only way I can ever love my wife supernaturally is, is to walk through that door. And when this log is burning, it, it warms my whole house. It warms my family. And it lasts for generations. Now, second, if you're in conflict right now, if you're really struggling right now, I'm going to ask you to do a timeout. And consider planning something fun for both of you to do. And the rule here is you do not get to talk about the conflict during the fun event. Some of you are thinking, people, you say, uh, isn't that avoidance? Aren't we avoiding the issue? No. What, what we're really doing is we're redirecting your attention to the part of your relationship that made it good in the first place. Last week we talked about these medium-sized logs. They represent phileo love. This is the companionship. This is recreational companionship, the friendship type of love. And some relationships, some marriages have been very good for a lifetime, built nothing more than on this phileo companionship, I want to be with you, do fun stuff with you type of love. And then when you have the agape and the phileo flowing right, then you can worry about the eros. Too many people are focused on the eros. That's the passion. That's the feelings type of love. And, and eros is really kindling. And, and people build their relationships on kindling and it burns white hot for just a few weeks or seconds or months or whatever. And then when that runs out, they've got to run around and find someone else to spark those erotic feelings. And then it feels good for just a little bit of time. And you keep doing it over and over and you end up a very bitter old person because you've never connected with anyone. You've never had agape love. You've never had phileo love. You're building it the wrong way. God says you start with agape. Then you build in the friendship and the phileo. And then the eros, the spark, the passion takes care of itself because you're doing things God's way. Now, the big problem with dealing with our conflict in the midst of conflict, in the heat of the moment, is this study that's come out. There's a new study out that says when your heart rate goes over 100 beats per minute, you lose all rational ability to problem solve. You're not thinking. You lose your head. Does that make sense? When the four horsemen are galloping around in your relationship, how long do you think it will take for your heart rate to top 100 beats per minute? Not very long. 
And then the relationship is in deep trouble. What we've got to realize is there are two types of problems that we face in relationships. There's recurring problems and there's solvable problems. Recurring problems like frequency of sex. Your sex drive. You may not be able to control your sex drive or you may have no sex drive. Things like that. Parenting issues. The way you were parented has a major impact on how you parent your children. Housework. Who should do what kind of housework? How much housework and the different tasks? Social life. Usually one of you loves to go out and do things in crowds. Usually one of you does not. And so you have these issues, these recurring problems where should we go out and hang out with folks or should we just stay home? Money motivations. Some people see money as freedom. Some people see money as power. Some people see money as security, safety. These are issues that you have a lifetime to work on. And it's part of why God designed marriage to last for a lifetime. So you got all kinds of time to deal with all kinds of scenarios and figure out how to make this work. But they're also solvable problems. I mean, come on, money management? Let's just pick a number, take it out of the hat. $3,000 a month. If you bring in $3,000 a month into your household, there should not be more than... $3,000 going out of your household every month. It's not that hard. You figure it out. You may have to go without some things for a while. Get into Financial Peace University. Figure it out. Money management is not that hard. It's the one thing that we know exactly how much we get paid every month, but we're too dumb to know how much goes out every month, and that's what gets us in trouble. So let's figure this out. It's not that hard. Agreeing on discipline for your children. You figure out what's a spankable offense, what's not a spankable offense. And then you back your spouse up whenever they discipline your children. Agreeing on the the appropriate amount of sex, the acceptable amount of sex. If your husband wants sex seven times every week and, and you're saying, man, I'm doing good just to have sex one time a week, stop on four times. Four is a great number, don't you think? Caleb said I keep getting uh, more and more embarrassing every week, so I thought I would mention sex again for him. Agreeing on housework, it's not that hard. Social gathering, it's not that hard. We're making it much more difficult than it has to be. Now, every person here can probably recognize one or more of the four horsemen in their relationships. So what do we do? Well, if you're on the wrong horse, dismount, get off the stupid horse, and choose a better horse. Years ago, I I took a group of students to... uh, Corpus Christi for what we called Beach Bash. It was basically youth camp at the beach. And one of the fun things that we were going to do was go riding horses on the beach. And so some of the kids stayed and swam. Some of them got in the beach. But about 15 or 20 of us, 25, I don't remember. It was a long time ago. We decided to go ride horses on the beach because we saw the promotional videos and it showed people riding through the waves and the water splashing up on them and they're laughing and their hair is flowing in the, in the wind. And I had hair at one time that could flow in the wind and I so wanted to do this. So we all load up our buses and we go over there, we drop off, we go into this kennel, this, this pen where the horses were and, and the guy there I pay and, and he starts picking out horses for each of the different people. Have you ridden before? No. Have you ridden before? Yes. And, and based on size and all those things. And, and so I'm kind of getting worried because we're running out of horses. The guy looks at me and kind of grins and he says, he goes, oh, I, I got a horse for you. I got, I got a horse just for you. And I got a little bit worried. So when everybody else is gone, they're all heading out towards the ocean, towards the beach, having a great time. He brings out the biggest, fattest, 
most sway back horse I've ever seen in my life. I'm not making this up. And he goes, here's your horse. So I climb on my horse and I take off uh, on my horse. And when I say take off, that's an exaggeration because my horse was the slowest moving horse ever born, ever, ever in existence. And it would take one step and it take one step. And, and I thought, dude, this is not good. We paid about 20 bucks for this, and I thought, I want to ride in the waves. And so my horse gets to going, and, and I didn't want to do anything while they could still see me from the kennel, and, or the kennel, the pen. And so I come out, and I, and I kind of get behind this one building, and I start kicking the snot out of this big fat horse. I'm kicking and kicking, and she is not doing anything. So I take my reins, and I go Kentucky Derby on her, and I start slapping her on the sides, trying to get this horse to do anything. By the way, the statute of limitations has expired for cruelty to animals, so you can't hold me responsible for that. But I'm doing everything I can to get this horse to move, and she will not move. She has a mind of her own. I finally get out to the beach, and I look way down there. And because everybody else has gone before me, they look like little specks on the horizon. And you can barely tell that they're moving up and down. And you can tell that they're on horses and they're riding, having a great time. And the, the guide, the guy in front, turns around. And I'm kidding you not, as soon as he turned around, my horse turns, lays the ears back, and runs as fast as she can back to the pen. And I'm going, whoa, you stupid horse. And she went right in and she gets there and she almost throws me off because she stops and sticks her head down in that bucket and she starts eating. It's the total motivation for her life is she's eating. And I get off and, and the guy goes, so how was it? And I said, that horse sucks. And I learned a very, very valuable lesson that day. Choose a better horse. So if you've got these things running around, these predictors running around in your marriage, choose a better horse. You don't have to keep doing things that way. You can dismount because there are four predictors of marital fulfillment and they serve as an antidote to the four horsemen. Now, let me offer a caution right here before I proceed. It's going to be very tempting for you to think about your spouse right now to think, oh, if my wife would do that, I'm going to take notes and I'm going to make sure she hears this sermon. Or if my husband would just do that, then my marriage satisfaction would go to a different level. But don't do it. Because you're not going to stand before God someday and, and answer questions about your spouse. God's not going to ask you, how come your spouse refused to do these things I told you to do to make your marriage what it's supposed to be, what I want it to be? He's going to say, how come you didn't do it? And you're responsible for what you've been taught. And so you are responsible today for your actions before God. Jesus said in John 10:10, 10, a thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came to give life, life in all its fullness. Satan, your enemy, wants to steal the joy of your relationships. He wants to kill your relationships and he wants to destroy your future by getting you to ride the four horsemen. But Jesus, the door is standing there saying, "I have a better way if you'll just try it." Antidote number one is honor. Honor is the complete opposite of criticizing someone. When you honor someone, you want to treat them. Your words and your attitudes and your actions, treat them as if they are as valuable to you as a bar of gold. Now let me give you a couple of suggestions of how specifically to honor someone. Write these on your listing guide because I, I didn't put them in there. Just jot them in the, in the margin. Affirmation. Affirmation is a statement of fact about something that someone does well. 
You say to them, you are really good at, and you fill in the blank. Janie, you're a great mom. Janie, you're a great cook. You're a great children's worker. You make incredible cheesecake. You're a great cheesecake baker. I recognize something in her, or you recognize something in someone, and I tell her, or I tell you about her. It's honoring something they do well. Second thing you can do to honor is, is admiration. This goes a little bit deeper. It's when we see something in someone else and we marvel and we enthusiastically approve of the other person. Janie, I don't know how you homeschool three kids, grocery shop, wash clothes, cook, and make me feel like the best husband in the world. And on top of that, you made 43 cheesecakes this last year so that we can go to gymnastics meets. Holy cow, you don't think I enthusiastically approve of something that she's done? Every time we pull out money from that fund and we pay for our gymnastics meets, I thank God and I approve of my wife making 43 cheesecakes. Now, I've told you that um, I'm constantly amazed when when you come up to me after services and and you say uh, something you said meant something to me or or God God used you to, to reach me, I'm amazed because I'm a colossal mess up. I share that with you all the time, just trying to be real. And if I've had any part in helping you and you tell me that, oh, it makes me feel good, and I like it when you tell me I've done something well. You know, I will always accept compliments. But when Janie's in here and, and I go home every Sunday and I look through the cards, the registration cards that you guys write on the back, but when she's in here, I always flip through and I look for her card. Because when she writes on her card, man, I I enjoyed listening to you preach today. God used you today in a powerful way. You did a great job, and you looked hot with two T's. Man, that just makes my heart beat a little faster. When I honor Janie and she honors me, it takes our relationship to a whole nother level. And folks, we've got to be reminded that our words have power for good or for evil. And that's exactly what the Bible says in Proverbs 25, 11. The right word spoken at the right time is as beautiful as gold apples in a silver bowl. That sounds nice, doesn't it? But, but look what the message says, the message translation, how it does 25, 11. The right word at the right time is like custom-made, like a custom-made piece of jewelry. Ladies, you like jewelry, right? You have, you have my permission to, to say to your husband, Proverbs 25, 11, buddy, I need some jewelry, custom-made jewelry for Mother's Day. That's all right. Honor, affirmation, and admiration are spoken jewelry for your relationship. Spoken bling-bling, spoken ka-ching, ka-ching. In my marriage kingdom, let there be much verbal blingdom. Y'all aren't laughing at that, so I'm just going to move on to the next one. Antidote number two is vulnerability. This is the opposite of being defensive. Guys, your wife has been wired by God to desire a connection to your heart. And your wife may have been attracted to you because you were the strong, silent type, but her heart will be captured by a man who lets her into his heart. She wants that from you. And, and being vulnerable is not something that most men do naturally. Most men can't even spell the word, say the word, much less be the word vulnerable. So what do we do? We've got to create venues of vulnerability. I'm talking about date nights. We talk about this all the time, and most of you still don't do it. 
She wants to date you. I don't know why, but she wants to date you. And the dates don't have to be expensive. Go for walks. Go to the park and get on a swing set. Be as creative now as you were when you were dating. You would have done anything back then to spend time with her. Why don't you do it now? Take trips together, just the two of you. And leave your kids at home. Your kids will survive. I'm willing to bet your kids will actually grow stronger when they see you making an investment in your marriage relationship, in your spouse, as your highest human relationship. And you can't be vulnerable on the fly. You can't be vulnerable when you're stressed out. I think that's one of the reasons Janie likes cruises so much is because we're not stressed out. We spend hours and hours a day on a big old boat not being stressed about anything. The most stressful decisions we make are, how late are we going to sleep? Well, let's sleep till we can't sleep anymore. Okay, we get up. Are you hungry? Yeah, let's go get something to eat. Okay, what are we going to do now? Let's go sit by a pool. Oh, what are you, now, you're hot? Okay, jump in the water. Get back out. Hungry? Let's go eat again. We spend hours being not stressed, and she loves it. Now, let me tell you this. Your kids are wonderful, and I love them. I love my children. I love your children. I believe they are a gift from God. But do you know what kids means? Do you know what kids means? It means keeping intimacy at a distance successfully. Your kids will suck intimacy and vulnerability right out of your relationship. And then they'll leave home someday, hopefully. God designed the family where the spouse stays and the kids leave. And then the kids come home to visit occasionally. I was talking to a mom the other day about cruises and stuff like that and how Janie and I take one vacation a year. Even if it's just one night, we go do something alone every year. And we'll take our kids on and do something vacation with them. And, and this lady said to me, Oh, my goodness, I haven't been anywhere alone with my spouse in over 10 years. And my first thought, it sucks to be you. I feel sorry for you. I'm not going to go 10 months without spending some time alone with Janie. I try not to go 10 days without spending time alone with Janie. Even if that's just shutting the door to our bedroom, locking the door so our children can't get in and sitting on the bed and talking. Try it sometime, and you watch your relationship, your marital satisfaction, head for a higher level. Now, one caution. One of you is going to be more verbal than the other. That's the way it usually goes. Don't you dare make your vulnerable times public. Don't you go talk about it. I know things about Janie that are funny, and she has threatened my life over. She said, you can never tell anyone, even after I'm dead. And I'm, but baby, when you're dead, it doesn't matter. She said, you can't do it. And I said, okay. If I told you, it would ruin what I have with Janie. And it's just not worth it. If you want to kill vulnerability with your spouse, you tell their secrets publicly. Another venue of vulnerability, Janie and I dream together regularly. We talk about what we'd like to do. We're coming up on our 19th um, wedding anniversary this year. We want to, on our 25th anniversary, we want to go cruise the Panama Canal. We want to go all the way through that sucker. And we're going to work. That's six years away. We've got six years to work on it and plan it and save enough money to do that. But it can be anything. Five years ago, we started dreaming about having a game room for our children by the time they were 13. And so two years ago, in Caleb's 13th year, we were able to... Uh, close off our garage and make it into a game room and we have a tv out there and we have a tv in the main room we have dish network in both places and so 
Never again do I have to watch SpongeBob or Hannah Montana. There is blessing and freedom in that fact. And it's helped my marriage. But you can dream about anything. Dream about your family, what you want to do together. Dream about your church, your home, your vacations. And then when you work together to accomplish that task, it strengthens your relationship. Antidote number three is respect. This is the opposite of contempt. Contempt says, I'm better than you. Respect says, I value you more highly than myself. That's actually scriptural. We'll read that in just a minute. Did you know that you can tell a lot about a relationship by watching how a wife watches her husband when he's talking? Or for that matter, you can tell how anybody respects someone else by the way they watch them when they're talking. If she's rolling her eyes, shaking her head, and saying, No, it was the 12th of April, not the 11th of April. You don't know anything, you dipstick. Then she obviously doesn't respect him. And see, you know how to respect or disrespect. Have you ever been in an argument with your spouse or someone in your family and the phone rings or someone shows up at the door and it's somebody that you respect? You can be mad. Your heartbeat can be well over 100 beats per minute and you open that door. Hi, how's it going? How are things with you today? You know how to turn on respect and turn it off. But when you disrespect your spouse... You are only hurting yourself because the Bible says that the two, husbands and wives, are one flesh. Disrespecting your spouse is like when James, a couple of weeks ago, I had him up here, and and I would say, if you are negative, you're doing this, you're zapping yourself, and he kept zapping himself with a taser. And it was funny to watch, but it's painful. When you disrespect your spouse, it is painful to you and those around you. Philippians 2, 3 says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others, your spouse is others. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. If we, were, if we weren't selfish and if we thought of others, if we were humble, our marriages would sizzle. Humility is the pathway to respect. Antidote number four is reconciliation. This is the complete opposite of stonewalling. Stonewalling is I build Walls to keep you out. Reconciliation is, I build bridges to let you in. Second Corinthians five eighteen and 19 says, And all of this is a gift from God. One of my favorite verses is James 1, 17, which says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. You look around your life. Everything good you have has come from God the Father. That's what this verse says. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. There was a time when we were enemies. And while we were still enemies, the Bible says Christ died for us. While we were far from God, God made a way for us to become friends with God. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Since I've become a friend with God, part of my responsibility is to help other people become friends with God. And your responsibility is to do the same. Because look at the last. For, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he's given us this wonderful message of reconciliation. If God can no longer hold my sins against me, then maybe through the door of Jesus Christ, I can no longer hold your sins against you. Stonewalling, keeping people out. Reconciliation, letting people in. If your marriage is dominated by the four horsemen, then your marriage is about burning bridges and building walls. But God says in His kingdom, His kingdom, everything is about building bridges and tearing down walls. Because I've been reconciled with Christ, 
Because I've walked through the door and, and, and I am a follower of Jesus Christ. He's in my life. God expects me to reconcile. Anytime Janie and I have an argument and it happens because I'm such a dork, anytime there's a problem with us or I've done something against her, as a believer, as a Christ follower, God expects me to rush to Janie to reconcile because I've been greatly and perfectly reconciled by the person of Jesus Christ. And some of you are going to say, but you don't know what she did to me. She has to pay. And you look at forgiveness as if it's a toll bridge. I was hurt this much, and so I've got to make sure I hurt them at least this much before I even consider reconciling or forgiving them. How old are you? Are you a child? Now, I agree that a sin has been committed and someone has to pay. But the news flashes. Someone already did. Jesus Christ, the door to reconciliation with God, spread out His hands and He was nailed to a cross because of your sins and mine to pay the price for that sin so that guilty sinners could have free access to God. There is nothing you can do to me. There's nothing you can do to your spouse. There's nothing your spouse can do to you that compares, that's worse than what we all did to Christ because our sins nailed Him to the cross. Don't you ever think that forgiveness is free, but the price has already been paid. If you want a marriage on a whole nother level, you've got to look at people the way Jesus did. And you've got to treat people the way Jesus did. So you walk through the door to marital fulfillment. And when you do, you impact future generations. That's the type of marriage I want to have. How about you? If you take out your registration cards... Fill those out. And we always ask you to do something on the back to respond to the message in some way. Because this message was for you and not your spouse. I want you to respond. I want you to write down which of the four horsemen you struggle with the most in your life. Is it criticism? Is it being defensive? Is it contempt? Is it stonewalling? And by writing that down, the one you struggle with, you will know immediately what you need, the antidote that you need more of in your life. Honor, vulnerability, respect, and reconciliation. Which one is it? Write it down. And then drop that in the appropriate basket at the back. Let's pray together and be dismissed. Father, I thank you that you love us and you want our marriages to be better than they are today. Save some marriages here. And teach them how to thrive instead of just survive. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.